This episode contains graphic descriptions of violence and may not be suitable for everyone. Please be advised. December 11th, 2012. At 3 o'clock in the morning, a woman is walking past Brookdale Hospital in Brownsville, Brooklyn, when she sees somebody lying on the sidewalk next to a wall. She goes over to check her, and she sees that it's a woman, and there's blood, and that the woman's unconscious. That's Detective Kevin McDonough from the Brooklyn South Homicide Squad. She panics. She makes her way down to the corner. It's a desolate area of Brooklyn, more so at night. By chance, there's a police car coming by. She flags that police car down. Uh, those two officers go over. They immediately see the blood. They notice right away that the, uh, the woman is shot. The woman has been shot in the neck. The patrol officers call for an ambulance, even though they're technically at a hospital. Dispatch tells them the ambulance is 10 minutes out. So uh, one of the officers went around and got the first ambulance crew that he saw by the emergency room to respond. They came over. It was a uh, volunteer ambulance, a Hotzola. They responded over and uh, pronounced the victim dead at that time. The victim's name was Shalima Gaskin. She was 32 years old, a mother of three. She was at the hospital because her eight-year-old daughter was being treated there for asthma. Nine years later, Shalima Gaskin's family is hoping for new information that will help solve the case. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions, and this is Breaking the Case, a podcast series written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. In this episode, we revisit an open case from Brooklyn's 6-7 precinct, the cold-blooded murder of Shalima Gaskin on the border of Brownsville and Canarsie. Detectives are asking for the public's help to find the perpetrator. The story continues after the break. On the afternoon of December 10th, 2012, Shalima Gaskin's eight-year-old daughter was suffering from a severe asthma attack. She and her husband, they were separated at the time, but actually very good friends, had taken the daughter over to Brookdale. Brookdale Hospital was close to Gaskin's home. The girl's asthma was so severe that she was admitted to the pediatrics ward. Ms. Gaskin and her husband stayed with their daughter throughout the afternoon. At around 5 p.m., the girl's father went to pick up their six-year-old daughter from daycare and then brought her back to the hospital to visit her sister. At around 8 p.m., Ms. Gaskin took the six-year-old home. She left the building through a back entrance that led to the lobby. It was a shortcut out of the building to East 98th Street towards her house. At that point, they had been taking turns watching the daughter while she was in pediatric care. They had decided that uh, the husband was going to uh, stay with her in the evening. Mrs. Gaskin was going to go home. She only lived about four blocks away from the hospital. So uh, she went home to take care of her other children. She had been up all day, and she actually fell asleep for a couple of hours. Ms. Gaskin's 18-year-old daughter told investigators that her mother woke up at 1 a.m. and said she was going back to the hospital. But first, she went to the deli and picked up some orange juice and snacks for the morning. At around 2 a.m., she left again. She never made it back to the hospital. Because the incident took place between the hours of midnight and 8 a.m., Brooklyn Nightwatch detectives responded to the scene. One of the first things they did was speak to security 
at the hospital. The hospital has cameras all over the hospital, outside the hospital. But as luck has it, the one camera that would have caught this incident was malfunctioning and there was no recording of the, the incident itself. An administrator that was working overnight, his office is on the fifth floor on the rear of the building. And he believed at about 2.15, 2.30 in the morning, he heard a gunshot, but wasn't sure, didn't call 911, didn't really have security go out and check or anything. So it wasn't until the police arrived at 3 that he was notified that there was, you know, somebody behind the hospital that had been shot. The detectives also broke the news of the shooting to Gaskin's husband. He was up in the, uh, with the child, so he never knew anything happened until we went in in the morning. At 8 o'clock the next morning, Brooklyn South homicide and detectives from the 6-7 squad arrived on the scene. They looked for witnesses. They had to figure out who might have been around the hospital at that hour of the morning. We realized that at 2 o'clock, 3 o'clock in the morning, there's not going to be a lot of people on the street. It's sort of a desolate area on the rear of the hospital. It is an active bus route. Detective McDonough is talking about the B-15 bus that runs from JFK Airport to Bed-Stuy. In Brownsville, it runs along East 98th Street, directly behind the hospital. We had contacted the MPA, wanted to see if any of the buses at that point had cameras on them that were running the route at that point. There was no video from the bus. They also wanted to speak to the drivers. One driver in particular was unsure but thought he had seen somebody leaning up against the back of the the hospital by the wall, but he was on his route, he didn't stop. Then they looked for video that traced the victim's path. We did an extensive video canvas from Miss Gaskin's house to Brookdale Hospital to see maybe if she was followed, maybe if there was some sort of confrontation. We did find several cameras. We did have video of her walking. She was walking alone by herself. And as far as we could see, there was no confrontations or anything. She returned to the back entrance behind the hospital. Although it was open from the outside during the day, it was locked in the evening. Shalima Gaskin didn't realize that when she left the building at 8 p.m., the door locked behind her. At the scene the night before, investigators recovered a single bullet off the ground. Next to Gaskin, they also found her purse with a wallet full of credit cards and cash, plus her cell phone, iPod, and jewelry. Nothing had been removed. It was hard to then put a motive or anything together. We thought maybe robbery. We interviewed friends, family. Nobody really had anything more to give us. Detective McDonough spoke with Gaskin's husband that morning. He said he had been with his daughter in her room all night. The nurses on duty, as well as the hospital video, confirmed his story. Tamara Gaskin was just 18 when her mother passed away. That night, she was at home with her youngest sister and she remembers being woken up the next morning by Detective McDonough and another officer. They woke me up and they explained to me, you know, my mom was injured, she was hurt. I was confused, you know, honestly, I didn't know the story. You know, they were just telling me, like, you know, hey, we have to get used to the precinct. Um, We have to ask you questions. They did tell me she had got shot, and then I started to panic. Like, am I really awake or is this a really bad dream, you know? After spending about half an hour at the precinct, her uncle picked her up. And then that's when they told me that my mom passed. So um, they took me to the hospital, and I saw the rest of the family there. I, I Yeah, I could just remember being in shock. I was in shock for a really long time, actually. An autopsy was performed that morning at the Kings County Medical Examiner's office. There was a stippling around the back of her neck where the wound was, and also to the back of her her head, right below her ear. 
That shows that when the gun was fired, the gun was in very close proximity to her head at that time. During the investigation, McDonough spoke with family, friends, and neighbors of the victim. He started to get a sense of the kind of person Shalima Gaskin was. She's a very good woman. She watched out for the neighbor's kids. She was that person in the building neighbors trusted with their kids. Their kids would come home from school and go to her apartment and wait until their parents got home. She had the table set up for the kids to come in and do their homework. You know, from what everyone told us, a very decent woman, very loving mother. Tamara Gaskin remembers her mother as a sweet and giving person. My mom, she was amazing, actually. She was really amazing. She was really loving, easy to talk to. She was always there for me, always. Gaskin's family was heartbroken. They struggled to make sense of Shalima's death. They couldn't comprehend why anyone would target her. In interviews with the press, they said that she had no enemies, no disputes. One of her aunts said to a reporter, she's an angel. So uh, this homicide happened on December 11th. On December 13th at uh, 1.48 in the morning, there was a homicide on Buffalo Avenue between East New York Avenue and Eastern Parkway. That's in the 7-7 precinct, about a mile from Brookdale Hospital. In that instance, there was a witness, a uh, gentleman that was walking down the block. The witness was walking on Buffalo Avenue towards East New York Avenue. As he's walking, he suddenly realizes there's a couple of people walking behind him. And he said just instinct, he felt uneasy, and he crossed the street. When he crossed, he was on Lincoln Terrace Park, a large park that borders Crown Heights and Brownsville. As he's walking, he hears a male voice say, what's up? He turns to look. He sees a guy walking behind him, and a second guy coming across the street, approaching the first guy. What's up, he says. Then he says, something the witness can't quite hear. And then he has three gunshots. Uh, he takes cover. He, he ducks behind a, a parked car. The witness said that the shooter then ran back across the street. He notices there's two other people on the other side of the street. They're at a, a pretty good distance, but he can hear them speaking. He hears a female say, put it here in the bag. And he puts the gun inside a, a, a pink bag that this woman is carrying. According to the witness, all three people took off running. When they got to the corner, they ran in different directions. He walks back up the, the block to the victim. The victim's laying on the sidewalk. Uh, he can see that there's blood on the ground, blood on the victim. He immediately calls 911, and he says before he's even off the phone with 911, there's already uniformed police officers on the scene. The victim was pronounced dead at the scene. His name was Stephen Evans, and he was 42 years old. The crime scene unit recovered three 380 caliber shell casings. That victim is shot point blank to the face just above his right eye, and then shot two times in the torso. Because of proximity, because it was within a day or two of the first homicide, we had requested a ballistics comparison. A few days later, we're, we're notified that the ballistics comparison is positive. It's the same gun, this uh, 380 caliber gun. The bullet from Mrs. Gaskin matched the bullets recovered from the second victim. Because the 7-7 precinct is part of Patrol Borough Brooklyn North, there was now a borough-wide effort to find the gunman. We worked side-by-side side with Brooklyn North and the 7-7 for any type of evidence or any type of leads. But uh, that case also, there were no, no further leads. There were no video cameras near the park and no other eyewitnesses besides the 911 caller. Detectives did an extensive video canvas of the area to look for the people who fled. The best of the cameras just showed blurry visions, you know, of 
a person running. That was about it. So the person that is running is lost within a block. In the video, as fleeting as it is, the person is shown wearing a blue hoodie, dark pants, and white tennis shoes before he runs out of the frame. Just like the Gaskin case, the shooting didn't appear to be a robbery. The witness said that the shooter seemed to know the victim. Almost like he was knew the guy when he said, hey, what's up? That drew attention. He said he didn't hear what the person said after that. He said he definitely said something to him, but he immediately fired the gun. Really, our motive is unknown. Within a day of Shalima Gaskin's homicide, a confidential informant in the 6-7 provided some information about a potential suspect. case like this, you're in hopes that the individual that did it may have bragged, may have said something to someone, you know, in regards to what happened. It's a long shot. But it turned out the informant was lying. He was trying to get out of jail, and he also wanted to get another individual in trouble. With no more leads, the detectives turned to the public for help. They sent out media alerts, set up a Crime Stoppers reward. For Mrs. Gaskin, the reward was $22,000, which is a lot of money. But here, all these years later, there's never been a tip score in regards uh, to, I believe, either case. The leads have been few and far between since the two shootings nine years ago. But Detective McDonough keeps pressing. After 29 years in the NYPD, he knows how to play the long game. People don't want to be involved. People are afraid, mostly if there's gangs involved or guns involved or if it's somebody they know. But uh, it surprises me how many people are willing to come forward still and, and speak to us and do the right thing. So we sort of keep our fingers crossed and hope for the best. Deep down inside, people want to do the right thing, I think. And if it's something that someone saw or something that somebody heard, many times it lays heavy on their mind. And it might take years, but at some point they might want to discuss it. Police ask anyone with information to call Crime Stoppers at 800-577-TIPS. There's a $22,000 reward for information that leads to an arrest and indictment. All calls will be kept confidential. After her mother passed, Tamara says she struggled to find her path forward. I attended college the following semester because my mother, she did want me to, but I eventually, I, I dropped out of college. I started working. In 2016, someone she knew told her about the civil service exam for police communication technicians. Tamara passed and started working at NYPD's communications division. I am a dispatcher for NYPD. I take 911 calls and I dispatch to officers. She says that her past experience helps her on the job. I feel like that is kind of what made me stay with this job because I, I felt like I'm, I'm helping someone, you know. I, I know people have, you know, horrible times and I, I've been through one of myself. So to help someone and, you know, can reassure them that help is on the way and that, you know, someone's coming to help you, you're going to be okay, that's, that's good for me, you know. Her advice to crime victims is, Healing takes time. Keep hope alive, keep keep fighting, keep going. Think of what your family or your loved one would want you to be doing, you know, continue to try to make them proud. She says that her family is still hopeful that there will be closure in her mother's case. I do have faith that I will get justice. My mother will get justice. Our family will get justice. I do have faith that the person, whoever is responsible, will be held accountable. But I'm just gonna keep my faith in God. That's what I've been doing this whole time. 
Breaking the Case is written and produced by the New York City Police Department and supported by the New York City Police Foundation. Subscribe to Breaking the Case for a new episode every other Thursday in Season 2. If you like our show, please consider giving it five stars and recommending it to your friends. And follow the NYPD on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. I'm retired Detective Sergeant Wally Zions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, be safe.